Welcome to Annual Reviews Audio, part of the conversation series from Annual Reviews, where insightful research begins. I'm your host, Ana Rasquat Paz. In each episode of our show, we speak to top scientists in fields ranging from astrophysics to sociology. Today, we talk to Suzanne Fenton, the leader of the Reproductive Endocrinology Group of the National Toxicology Program at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. She and her team study how early life exposures to environmental chemicals affect breast development as it relates to timing of puberty. Working with rodent models, they are attempting to determine underlying mechanisms for the resulting susceptibility to breast cancer, as well as the consequences on the ability to lactate. She is the co-recipient of the 2008 Level 1 U.S. Scientific and Technological Achievement Award, a top honor from the Environmental Protection Agency. Professor Fenton, welcome to our show. Oh, thank you. You are the author of an article uh, published in the 2012 Annual Review of Pharmacology and Toxicology titled Perinatal Environmental Exposures Affect Memory Gland Development, Function, and Cancer Risk in Adulthood, which you co-wrote with Casey Reed and Risa Newbold. So let's, let's start from the beginning. Uh, what can you tell us about the stages of puberty in girls and um, whether those stages are regulated um, in the same fashion? Right. Um, well, a lot of people may say there's three or four stages. I, in my opinion, there are about three. They are cellarchy, which is the appearance of breast buds, the, really when the breast starts to develop where you can see it. Uh, pubarchy, which is the development of pubic hair and auxiliary hair on the body, um, whether or not the girl wants it or not. And then that would be followed by menses, or the first period, um, and then they would have regular cycles after that. And these do appear to be regulated differently. Um, the timing may vary between the different stages of puberty, and um, therefore environment may impact these um, separately. What is considered early puberty? Well, um, that may vary, again, by the scientist who, who's working in that area. Most agree that it is the appearance of um, breast buds before the age of eight. Um, some say maybe the age of seven. Um, and sometimes this may be controlled by um, abnormalities in the brain, but many times we don't know the underlying reason for um, either early or delayed puberty in children. It's understood that early puberty or even delayed puberty, breast development more specifically, is a problem. What is the issue there? Well, there can be a lot of problems with um, early breast development and early puberty in general. I mean, some of the reasons are psychosocial. You know, you're not the same as your friends. It's really hard for 8-year-old girls to understand how to deal with um, having a period or the development of breasts. Um, another reason is, you know, it may enhance early promiscuity and may increase the number of um, people who are having babies who are under the age of 15, for example. But the reason that we really focus on in my lab and in my research is the risk for later life disease, specifically um, effects that it may have on lactation or effects that it may have on breast cancer risk in later life. And, and um, which are the populations most affected by this issue? Well, in the U.S., it's given a lot of attention, but this is not the only place that there is a seemingly a problem. 
the, the Danish National Birth Cohort has published um, more than one article now demonstrating that um, children in uh, Denmark and some of the northern European countries also have early pubertal, pubertal signs, and specifically breast development is occurring earlier there than it did two generations ago. In fact, in one of the most recent articles from them, um, they um, looked at breast developmental timing 15 years apart, and in only 15 years they saw a significant trend for earlier breast development um, over that time. That's very striking. That certainly can't be because of a shift in genes or heredity. Yeah, it sounds really, really quick. Has has this effect also happened for, for the age at which you get your period? Well, it does not appear to be as affected. Um, there have been small changes um, noted in that over longer periods of time, but this does not, the timing of menarche um, does not seem to be as affected as breast developmental timing. So focusing on, on, on breast um, developmental timing, what have you found could be potential causes for early or even delayed development? Well, most of our studies are in rodent models of human disease. So in our, in our rat and mouse studies, we have shown that several chemicals can affect mammary gland developmental timing. Um, that would be atrazine and its metabolites. PFOA, which is a surfactant that's used widely for things that are um, grease-proof or stain-proof, flame-retardant mixtures, nonylphenol, which is found in plastics, and dioxin, which is a common pollutant, are the chemicals that we've actually seen um, shift mammary developmental timing. Some cause early developmental timing, and some delay the development. So how, how, how do they act exactly? Yeah, that is the million-dollar question. Um, we know how they don't act, some of them, and for most of them, we don't have any idea how they're controlling mammary gland development. One of the things that some of them have in common, like some, for example, atrazine, PFOA, and dioxin, all delay mammary gland development. And one of the things that they do is they, they cause the branching pattern in the gland to be delayed and stunted. So we think that the mechanisms may lie there. But, you know, we, we've only tested a few chemicals, and there's potentially like 86,000 or so chemicals on the U.S. market. And one of the major problems that we have is that some of the testing that's done does not actually evaluate mammary gland as an endpoint. So even though they may look at pubertal timing in a rodent model, they don't usually look at mammary gland development. So uh, we need to enhance our ability to evaluate the mammary gland in order to catch up mm -hmm. with, you know, determine those mechanisms. So you, you talk a little bit about, about delayed breast development. Um, how, is, how is this a problem exactly? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question because you would think that if you delay breast development that that wouldn't be a big deal. But what's happening in girls today is that they may start breast development early in their lifetime, but it isn't completed until they undergo um, full sexual maturation, which includes having their first period and cycling normally, which the timing of that isn't changing. So what's happened is there's a longer window of time for which girls' breasts are developing. 
we know in rodent models that the longer um, the sensitive structures called the terminal end buds are present in the mammary gland, the more sensitive the gland is to a carcinogen. So potentially, if that translates to women or girls, then girls who start breast development earlier would have a longer window of time in, under which they were sensitive to the effects of any other environmental um, contaminant, especially carcinogens. Mm-hmm. And and one of one of the um, the, the sections in in the paper discusses. Um, Fat cells, essentially, and and people talk a lot about the link with obesity. Um, how 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 do these two things interact? Well, some of the more recent um, publications on why um, we're, we have this um, precocious puberty epidemic that's going on um, suggest that it may be linked to the obesity epidemic. Now, in my mind those may actually be linked with environmental causes because we know, um, so the breast, the breast is made up of a, a lot of its fat and the epithelial cells where cancer forms are layered are nestled within that fat. So the fat cells actually produce hormones that can affect the cells in the breast that, you know, form the adult breast and form, you know, the lactation units and form cancer. So there's an interaction between the cell types within the gland, and the fat cells are more numerous in girls that are obese. Um, they're larger cells, there may, and there may, may be more cells. So we know environmental um, chemicals can actually cause obesity in rodent models in the lab. We also know that these, some of these same chemicals can alter pubertal timing. And we, but what we don't understand very well is whether or not uh, um, the cart is before the horse or, or vice versa. So is it the environment that's changing the obesity rate, and is that affecting puberty, or is um, accelerated puberty actually enhancing obesity? It's really a, a very interesting, and it's going to be difficult to um, disentangle those different components. Um, but I do think there probably is a relationship, but I'm not sure it's the entire story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> because tall girls may also have early breast development, and they may be maybe tall and thin girls. So there's something going on with growth and pubertal timing that we don't have a good handle on yet, and that may be really at the crux of this entire problem. And you, so you work on rodents. Um, what what are some of the parallels and some of the differences? You know, what are the questions that the rodents can't really answer when it comes to humans? That's a really good question too. Um, we can study pubertal timing in rodents fairly easily because they have something called vaginal opening, at least in females. It's a real, just a, a general indicator of puberty in the girls and. Um, Girls, women, females, humans, don't have vaginal opening. That doesn't exist. So some of the endpoints in puberty in girls and rodents are not the same, such as that one. However, mammary gland development in a rodent is very similar to breast development in a girl. Um, The stages of development are very similar, the hormones that control it, and the growth factors that are most critical, and the cells that are involved are all the same. 
So that's one of the things that we should be able to use rodent models for, is to evaluate breath timing in girls. Um, unfortunately, the, the um, more ovary-driven um, parts of it, like the cyclicity and the um, uh, normal ovarian function, are pretty different between rodent models and humans. Right. Is is there anything, you, you talk a lot about environmental chemicals and, and, and there's a whole list of them that we don't really know or understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything parents can do uh, to help their daughters to prevent this from happening to them? Hmm. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> I think, you know, people who really want their kids to have a healthy lifestyle style ingrained would be helpful. So, for instance, um, if we could get our children to drink their water, you know, that they carry around with them out of a metal unlined water bottle, if we could find good sources of milk and dairy products that don't have um, contaminating hormones and chemicals, and if we could have a, a, a better source of meats that are from animals that have not been given either drugs to enhance their growth or hormones to make them grow faster, um, that would be uh, great. That would be a great start. Um, We also have to help our kids to understand that, um, you know, variety and changing things up in their life is probably a good thing and that they should probably, you know, try to stay away from a lot of the health and beauty aid products um, until they're older. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some of these things in general could help. Right. But, yeah, but we can't, we, it's hard to nail down any one thing that's contributing to this. So right. it may be a variety of things that need to change. And and what about the role of genetics in all of this? I mean, this, this affects mm-hmm. girls pretty directly. Um, is, is Are these traits that they could transmit to their own children later on? Uh, yeah, that is a good question. We don't really have the answer for that. Um, it used to be um, early on in this <clears throat> in this epidemic, I, I'm going to call it an epidemic because we don't really have control of it yet. Um, early on, <clears throat> I think pediatricians still thought that there was a role of genetics in all of this, but I don't think that's the case um, anymore. Um, in fact, in recent conversations with pediatricians, it appears that there uh, they're saying less often that this is because of hereditary reasons and that it may have more to do with growth trajectories in children. Um, but I think not all pediatricians agree. You know, a lot of this may come back to um, training pediatricians in environmental health sciences and and really having pediatricians knowledgeable pediatricians talk to parents about this to help guide them in um, ch- um, changing things in their children's lifestyle that may um, eliminate environmental exposures. Right. There, there was a story not that long ago in the New York Times um, talking precisely about this, about early puberty in girls. And they, they discussed it very much like um, a new normal. Um, many pediatricians seem to take the stance that, you know, there's not much you can do about it. And uh, and that's just the way it is. So what what's what's the stance there is uh, should we should we treat it as a new normal or, or can we aim at reversing these effects? 
Well, I guess it depends on what we were willing to put up with. Um, I think that, I think I, I read that article actually, and I think it was very good. But I think also that um, parents may want to have a stronger stand in this, and that maybe it's not okay for this to be happening. Um, and I don't really think we've tried very hard to reverse the effects. So, you know, I, I think if parents and if, um, you know, educators really um, said, no, I don't think this is okay, you know, we need to do something about this, I think we could come up with some ways, some guidelines for um, healthy living that may help. But until we pinpoint some of the actual um, the, the biggest problems, I'm not sure we can actually reverse it. Right. And it sounds like there's there's a discussion that's needed at government level, if only to inform um, and educate both pediatricians and, and parents. Um, have you heard of anything happening um, in that direction? Or or is this something that really needs to get started, that, that really needs more attention? Well, I do know that some medical schools have, have enhanced their environmental health sciences um, aspects of the training that they're um, doctors receive, and there are more CE classes that are being offered in that area. However, I don't think that's the norm. Um, I also know that there are more grants available now in the, like a translational biology area where clinicians and biologists would work together on questions such as this. You know, there may be a cohort of children, and um, people could do research in animal models on a very particular um, uh, question related to pubertal timing. So I think there are some movements to um, enhance training and opportunities for research in this area, but I don't think there are enough yet. I mean, this is affecting so many children that this should be a priority area for research. Yeah, and it, it does seem to be affecting girls from different ethnicities and in different ways as well. Yeah, and it does seem to be affecting um, African-American or black girls more so than the other um, ethnicities. So there's really, there are some real issues here um, that need to be addressed still. And I think that in, you know, enhanced funding of longitudinal studies where children are recruited early in life and are followed all the way through puberty, and where there's good measurements of their exposures. And I'm not talking about just chemicals like uh, in their home that are sprayed in their home or in their school, but that, you know, if we had uh, food sampling um, and if we had enhanced um, biomonitoring in children, that would really help. Like, we don't really have a good handle on what kids are exposed to. The National Health Report that's put out by um, CDC attempts to um, give us a, a real cross-cutting exposure um, glimpse of the people in the United States, but it doesn't address the levels in children very well. There's a very small uh, population of children that are evaluated, and if we knew more about what it was in children that we should be studying, that might help. Thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. You've been listening to Annual Reviews Audio. 
for 80 years and your reviews has guided scientists to the essential research literature in the biomedical, life, physical, and social sciences. Learn more at annualreviews.org. I'm Ana Rasquat Paz. Thanks for listening.